Hello, and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roos, CEO and founder of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. Financial institutions of all sizes must stay focused on providing and improving digital services or they risk being left behind. The good news is that smaller banks are already experts at relationships and can leverage this expertise and the trust they have earned in a digital world. The questions become where should investments be made and how can a mid-sized bank punch above their weight competing with larger banks, fintech firms, and big tech competition? We have Laura Merling, Chief Digital Officer at Arvest Bank on the Banking Transform podcast. Laura shares the steps that are needed for banks of all sizes to remain relevant in a digital banking ecosystem. So Arvest operates more than 240 bank branches in Arkansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, and Kansas with $26.5 billion in assets. Despite its size, Arvis can still be considered a community bank in most of its markets. So Laura, you have an extensive career, you know, having spent time at Ford, AT&T, Collins Aerospace, and most recently at Google Cloud. None of these were banking positions. Um, Two questions. First, what drew you to Arvest? And secondly, how does your background actually help you at your new position? Yeah, great questions, <laughs> of course. Um, I think, so what drew me to Arvest was really the opportunity. You know, I think uh, the opportunity and the desire and the willingness. So um, the banking industry, as you know, is going through a large transformation right now. Um, obviously, transformation is ongoing, but it's it's kind of at its peak of, of transformation and disruption. And um, for me, that's really interesting. I want to be a part of helping get through that, helping redefine it and transform it. Um, and Arvest's commitment to that transformation was also very important. The, what the, the leadership uh, had done in terms of their commitment, understanding that it's not a one-year journey, commitment to investment, resources, all of that, uh, and even doing a, um, uh, what we call, it's a basically a, a study, a change study, like how ready are you, call it drive change, and it's how ready is the leadership for this transformation. And so they had going in, had an understanding before I even started of who was ready for change and who wasn't, Right. And so I think that was that was to me a, a sign of like, hey, this is fantastic. It's it's well set for success. In terms of um, you know my background and what brings me to this, I think it's uh, understanding more broadly at a foundation level that technology is the means to the end. It's not about technology, um, but what it is about is how you think about changing and transforming a business, which is understanding where the market's going, looking out a few years and working backwards from there to say, how do we get there? Um, And so when you think about it, it's anything from people, process and technology that has to change along with what's your business strategy, what's your revenue growth strategy, um, what's your efficiency strategy, and then what's your customer experience that you want to achieve. And that's where that community bank piece comes in is how do we continue to grow and scale while we continue to remain a community-focused bank? You know, it's interesting. You, you talked about the fact that what drew you there was leadership. And we talk about it often on the podcast. I write about it in the financial brand, and we've done research on it, that organizations can't transform if the top leadership does not buy in. Because basically, change by itself is hard enough. And if you don't have the top management believing in what needs to be done, you're not going to accomplish anything. But when you move from an organization where you were to a new organization, not everything is as, as rosy as it seems possibly when you make the change. So what were your immediate challenges that you found when you joined the organization and how did you address these early challenges? Yeah, I think there's probably challenges that many, I think one challenge was unique to our best. And I think other challenges are, are consistent across other companies. So the one that's unique to our best, I would have to say is, um, I call it the Arvest Nice uh, or the Arvest Hug, um, which is everyone is so caring about each other. The culture itself um, was—it's amazing. It's incredible to be a part of, but it almost almost was also um, 
you know, part of what you want to be able to do is say, hey, this isn't working or, hey, maybe we need to revisit this. And I think sometimes that niceness and the wanting to help everything, like they'd go to the end of the earth to help a customer be successful or to help, you know, their their colleague be successful. Um, but, but the challenge is sometimes you have to say, hey, this isn't working. Right. And so I think that that Arvest Nice was one of it. And and you don't want to lose that. So the question is, how do you keep that while also getting people to speak up and and have have a voice? Um, and so that's been a work in process. I think the other thing that that most companies encounter is um, how do you um, how do you do things fast enough? Right. How do you shift from being project based to being product based? So it's how do you get to quarterly releases or more ongoing releases versus that big one-time waterfall. I'm going to I'm going to work on this for a year and a half. I'm going to deliver it and then I'm going to come back to you 5 years later and do the next one, right? And that's usually what you get in banking because the projects are so large. And and in that one we found a way to solve it pretty quickly, which was how do we get people to think in 90-day increments? How can oh, wow. I get how can I get a quick win? And we're calling them quick wins. And it's how do you find something to achieve in 90 days? And so now we've gone from where we started. I've been here at the bank about a little over a year. And we now have every department from uh, you know, the front line all the way to, you know, my operations team. Everybody's talking about quick wins, which is all how do we find things we can do in 90 days? And I think that's a whole mindset shift. It's taken us time to get there, but it's really exciting to see. You know, that's interesting. That is something that banking really struggles with. We build annual plans. We have annual investment um, reviews. Everything's in an annual basis. And we talk about it often that organizations have got to think in a new mindset because annual changes get you off the hook if you don't do it on an annual basis. If you do it quarterly, you you have four different times you got to you got to pay the piper and and say why didn't you achieve what you're supposed to achieve? And even faster than that, I I've talked about it many times in the podcast that when I visited WeBank in Shenzhen, China, they mm-hmm. have a 14-day duration between ideation and implementation. That is just an amazing speed. But when it's part of the culture, when it becomes part of the the way you do business, it it certainly makes it easier. And and congratulations for what you've done at Arvest because getting to a quarterly mindset is a massive change compared to what the legacy thinking was. So what are the biggest differences you saw in the banking industry compared to other places you've worked? And and similarly, what are the similarities? Yeah, I mean, I think the similarities uh, are an easy one to start with. So I'm going to start there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the the similarities are you always have um, culture as a factor for transformation. You always have, um, which I think Arvest was was leaps and bounds ahead of of other things I've experienced. Um, but I also think skill set. So do we have the skills to do to use the new technologies and move forward? And if not, do you have an upskilling and reskilling program, which we've also put in place over the last year? Um, I think the other things that you'll see is um, do you have a long-term vision, right? Have you looked out? And and I know in today's age, it's hard to say what things are going to look like in five years, right? It's hard to say what they're going to look like in five weeks. Yeah, exactly. But you kind of want to have directionally some concept of what you expect, what's the North Star, so to speak, for who you are, where you're going, and what you want to be in five years. You might make twists and turns along the way, but you've got a destination that you're headed to because you want everybody to be rowing in the same direction. And and that will give you the foundation to say, okay, now how do I make my investments that target towards that destination? And I think all of those are kind of generally the same constructs that you look at when you, you know, when you first enter into all of this. What were the differences between where you were and where you've come to? Yeah, so I think... um, the, the difference is really from, from that to here is I would say, you know, I've, I've worked in other regulated industries, right? So AT&T, yep. highly regulated. Uh, aerospace, highly regulated. Yeah. Automotive, self-driving cars, very regulated. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I got to banking. And, and honestly, the, the, the regulatory, I mean, you want it this way, but it's also so tightly integrated and not only is it integrated, it's it's there in front of you on a constant basis yep. versus in the other industries, you could kind of plan, um, you could almost plan 
and then do stuff. Here, we're always having to evaluate it almost on a weekly basis in terms of what's happening and where it's going. And I don't think that it's a bad thing. It's just a, it's a, it's a change in how you think through stuff. And so the work that we do with our risk and compliance team, you know, all this transformation we're going through, through, we have a partner that sits with us in every meeting, every discussion about every change we're trying to do, whether it's moving to the cloud or whether we're looking for new product offerings or whether we're revamping our loan origination system. They're right there with us at every step of the way. And I've just not had that before. And that's probably just me going from non-banking to banking is that experience. That's probably the biggest one, real, realistically. Well, it's interesting because you say that the person's in the room in all the discussions. A lot of organizations don't put the compliance person in the room and just give them the idea at the end. And then the compliance person says, no, you can't do this, this, and this. Putting them in the room is a very big advantage to making change happen. Because if they become part of the solution, they aren't simply there to say no to this or no to that. I, that's a really great point you made there. You know, we're we're in a period of a significant economic uncertainty. We're not really sure where it's going to go, but many financial institutions have actually scaled back their investments along across the entire organization, including in the technology area. What areas of technology do you believe should not be cut right now? And better yet, where must banking maybe double down on their investment? Ooh, um, I think the things you can't shortchange on. I mean, the reality is, I think cloud computing infrastructure. Um, you know, we've we've done a partnership with Google. Um, uh, to me, it was one of the first and foremost foundational things we needed to do was that investment, which would allow us both speed and scale. Um, speed to, you know, upgrades, adoptions, changes, you know, it, it's why startups go to the cloud from, from day one. So we need to be able to do that, but also be able to get scale. If we want to grow the business, we needed to be able to have that leverage. Um, I think other things that go along with that, um, we've invested within the cloud environment in a data platform. And so when we think about data platform, think about it as a foundation for, um, Real-time data flows. A lot of banks, right? Banks historically are, are batch process. Um, in today's world, people want to see things and know things as much as possible in real time. And so sh making that shift, it's also being able to do things like personalized offers or real-time offers and, and um, knowing what's happening in real time with a transaction or an interaction with a customer or a potential threat to that customer. And so that those two things is like foundational are really there. I think um, a couple other things, you know, really thinking about in today's environment, um, how do you protect your customer and thinking around protection and what that means uh, for the customer. Those areas are for me, like first and foremost, where we see the need for investment. You know, it's interesting. You, you, you're, as I understand it, you're transforming your core. You mentioned Google as part of the process, but you also have other partners. So you have a lot of moving parts happening at the same time. How do you manage those multiple partners? And more importantly, how do you select the partners that you're going to use right off the bat? Because obviously at, at $26 billion, you can't build it all from internal. In fact, you can build very little bit internal. You know, what advantages do the partnerships bring in, and how do you get them all to work moving down the same direction? Yeah, you know, it's it's been an effort of orchestration over the last year. And so um, we we have, uh, we do have, we're trying to have a, we want a wide enough set of partners that we get diverse perspectives, but we don't want it so wide that it's not manageable. And so we've said we, we, we are reducing the number of vendors that we have and partners, but we are going to focus on a few, but we definitely want the diversity of thought, experience, and input. Um, and, you know, we've created uh, almost what we'll call a playbook, which takes every work stream across the bank that we're working on that ties to this transformation. Because to your point, it's everything from, you know, the strategy and the vision to the organizational structure and design to communications, <laughs> to upskilling yeah. and reskilling, to the technology, to the business strategy. Um so it's every part of, of the business and it's having sort of these work streams and then tracking to those work streams and having owners and knowing who those owners are and then trying to do regular reporting on that on a frequent basis. Um, we do a lot of uh, 
I'd, I'd say, you know, my view is 90% of the success of a transformation is how well and how often you communicate. Um, culture change, all of that is about communication and bringing everybody along for the ride. And so a lot of what we're trying to do around this vendor, vendor selection, all this whole process is communication. Um, the vendor selection itself for us has been more about who wants to be a partner in the ride with us? Who wants to be a partner in the journey? Um, it's We've got a lot of learning to do. We've got a lot of change to do. And if you're just here to sell me some software, I don't want that. If you're here to embed yourself for eternity, I don't want that, right? So, so part of it is thinking about who's going to help us get through each phase of this. And are they ready to say, hey, this is where I'm an expert and I can help you. By the way, I'm not an expert in that. Not only do I want to know what you do, I want you to admit what you don't do. And I think that that true partnership is when somebody can say, hey, that's not us. Or, you know, there's a couple of partners we're working with that I've gone to them and say, hey, look, this isn't working. Either this person isn't working, this process isn't working, this structure isn't working. We need to change it. And how quick they change it and how they react determines if they'll continue to be our partner or not. <laughs> you know, that's interesting, though, because a lot of times we're afraid to ask the tough questions, you know, especially with partners where, you know, every partner says they can do everything. You know, I, I can do I can not only change your core, but I can also be the best at new account opening processes. And that's not true. It, the reality is the marketplace has better people there. If you find the partners that you mentioned that allow that those other partners to come in because they do certain things better, the trust goes up because basically you're going to know my partners are working towards my goals, even if it doesn't involve them the whole way. The pie is fairly big, but too many times we get stuck in a situation where our, our core provider says they can do this, 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 or the organization believes, why, why am I going outside my core provider and paying double? They always think of it as paying again for something that the other provider should provide. But to your point, you're trying to do things fast and you can't always do it fast that way. You know, it sounds, it's really interesting how you're really managing so many things moving at the same time. And I would, as you said, it's an orchestration, but it's something that many organizations back off of. They think of linear progression saying, I'll do this, then I'll do this. And that really doesn't work very well because you end up doubling up a lot of times also, you know, you become known for developing and successfully implementing a replicable framework for transformation based on five pillars. Can you describe those a little bit? Oh, yeah. Um, and that foundation is really kind of, you know, where we are and, and what we're following and, and where we started, which is what's your business? One is what's your business vision? What's your strategy? Again, that has to set whether you're looking out three years or five years or even 10, it's kind of where are you going? Because that sets the foundation for everything. And uh, there's a, you know, I like to borrow other folks' frameworks. So there's a, you know, um, where to play, how to win framework that's been created out there. And I use that for kind of the, the business strategy. And so we had to start with that. Um, the next piece is the customer. Um, and know who your customer is, understand your customer needs, who are those personas? And your customer might be your end consumer, or it might be in a commercial environment, it might be a, another business, or maybe it's business, business to consumer if you're thinking like indirect lending for dealers or something like that. Yep. So, so a lot of it is about understanding who your customer is, but in that scenario, it's also understanding who your customer isn't. I always go back to, you have to know who it is, and you also have to very specifically say who it is not. Um, because otherwise the net gets too wide. And then in that model, we continually address everything from, and this is a hard process, from the customer in versus from the bank out. Normally you think of something and you go, oh, well, I want to improve a customer experience. Okay, let's figure out how our processes are today. And then what could we remove to simplify it? It's like, no, no. What's the customer expectation on the other end? What are they using? What tools are they using? What technology? What experiences do they have in the rest of their day-to-day -day life? And how do you start from the customer working inward? If you're trying to get a loan, right, is, is it about time, efficiency? What do they think you already have? What data do they expect that you already know about them, especially if they're an existing customer? How to remove those roadblocks and barriers? And so that, that customer piece is really, really important. I think the next piece is really um, what I would call sort of this um, 
technology assessment. And so we always go back and say, thinking foundationally about um, technology, what is it? What's, where, where are we? And then how do we go from where we are to where we want to be? Um, so for us, you know, we've, one of the things we're trying to do is we look at moving to cloud, we're going to move out of one of our data centers. So when we think about this direction of what we need for cloud, why are we moving to cloud? What's the goal? How do we pick who the cloud provider is going to be? But then also, what are some of the, the interim steps? Just the migration to cloud to get out of one data center, we've had to change the path twice since I've been here, just in terms of how we were going to get there for the migration. So the technology assessment's ongoing. It's not a one and done. You want a baseline of where you are so you know what you need to do but you always have surprises. I mean, we've already had three big surprises in uh, some of our legacy technology uh, in the last um, six months. <laughs> and yeah. so you have to adjust. But again, if I know where I'm going, I can choose which, which piece of that legacy technology am I going to replace first, right? And how do I think about it? And where do I start? So I think those are kind of a couple pieces of the, the framework. Um, there's also then uh, what I'll call um, governance. And governance is really around how do you, or it goes back to that orchestration, right? This mm -hmm. doesn't all happen just by happenstance. You have to have an orchestration of the prioritization and how things move and when they move. Um, you have to bring, be bringing people along for the ride. Um, you know, every company has its own pace at which it can move and transform. Um, even if, you know, places like Arvest, where everybody's ready and excited to do this transformation, there still is a pace of change based upon the volume of things you're doing and what the change is that you have to do. And of course, you know, in within governance includes metrics and measure, right? Yeah. So how are you going to, how are you going to measure your success? Um, just saying we're going to change the customer experience. Well, that's, that's interesting, but it's not measurable. Right. So what are you going to change about it? Um, you know, is it, um, you know, it takes me, I go from, you know, 15 seconds to create a new account to it takes me five seconds. Or maybe it's more something like um, today it takes me, um, I don't know, three days and 300 steps to do a loan. Tomorrow I want it to be three clicks to do a loan. It's, it's that, what is that? How are you going to measure that success? And, and why are you doing it? From a customer perspective, right? It's about, I want to know that I've been approved for a loan or it's about, so it's either um, acknowledgement that, okay, I know I have approval or it's about time to funding. And it depends on whether I'm a consumer or commercial business and what the pain point is that I have. So that metrics and measures are super important part of that. And of course, you know, the other pieces, which, people tend to talk about is culture, people, skills, people, process. Um, that's super important. I think the other piece of this is, is the culture, upskilling, reskilling, and bringing everyone along. Um, the process is also what I put it in the culture and people piece, because on the process side, you know, we built processes around the things, the way that technology worked ages ago, or around the way that we used to interact with people in a branch those processes and policies need to change. And so making sure that we're looking at that as well. So anyways, there's a, a couple no. of pieces within the sub pieces there. So sorry about that. It's, no, it's, it's, no, it's, it's, it's great. And it's interesting because you bring up the people aspect and everything you're talking about. I mean, you came in brand new outside the banking industry, dying to change things. And you had support of senior management, but getting everybody aboard is a difficult process because Going to digital transformation to many people within the organization, they view it as, you're going to take my job. I'm going to be replaced. So how do you actually communicate that the people you have on board can be part of this change as opposed to being left behind? And even more importantly, how do you hire and train new people at a time when getting new employees that are really tech savvy, that are be the people you really have to have, are so hard to find? Um, wow, those are two fully loaded questions. <laughs> yeah, and I probably should have separated them because I'm going like, this will be one of one. You go, okay, what's like, the first part of that one down. again? So, the, you know, no, so the first one is really around how do you get the people within your organization to buy in 
to the process and feel like they're going to be part of it? Yeah, no, it, it, you know what? I think there's a, a couple of things. I go back to communication. So one is um, we started a, so the CEO, there's a couple of things. One is the CEO does a monthly CEO update, right? Where are we? What are we doing? Secondly, um, my organization, we do something called the monthly transformation talk. Um, <laughs> we, we've, uh, over the last six months, we've, I think, tripled the size of the audience attendance of that transformation talk because we not only do we make it live and we answer questions and we we bring different speakers in. So we we have people in our team that are going through transformation, but we're also doing things that are not technology driven. So not all the transformation things are technology driven. Right. So we had like a, a, a trial that we did in our market that had no technology. It was all about simplification of process for our customers. And so we had those leaders come in and talk about that project. So it, we made it kind of this cross-functional view of what's happening in the transformation and, and different representatives come in and talk. And then we record those. Um, but in the meantime, we do um, live chat and answer questions. And so that's great. So it's that, that real-time access. Um, we also have done, when we are rethinking things, you know, the great part about the way our bank is structured is we have a set of what we call peer groups. So there's loan manager peer group and there's um, private banking peer group. And, and so there's all these different peer groups. And what we've been doing is we bring them in to the different topics and discussions that we're having around different products or offerings or different industries. And they actively become part of the discussion and description. Um, uh, uh, we've been working with another, another vendor, um, IDO. I don't know if you've heard of them. They do mm -hmm. design thinking. Um, we've made sure that our peer groups are involved in those discussions so they get to learn the process, they get to see, they feel how it's engaged. And so a lot of it's just making sure they're part of the conversations that we're doing along the way. Now, do we get some meetings that have a lot of people in it? Yes. Um, but but it's important, right? People want to hear and they want to know. And then we also do frequent readouts on where we are and, and what success we've had and what milestones. So, you know, it's all about making sure they're engaged, they have an opinion, they're included, how do we get their feedback along the way? Uh, and it's been that way on pretty much everything we've been doing. What's good is that really builds trust. Because, you know, if you do those types of things, we've interviewed a, people, a couple of people on the podcast that it really gets down to if the employees trust that you're doing things that will be better for the customer and good for them, they'll get on board. You know, the other part of my question was around, you know, how do you hire those key people today when the marketplace is so competitive and where you're a medium-sized bank in the in truly the the heart of the Midwest? How do you how do you get that accomplished? Yeah, well, I you know, it's interesting. Uh, I kind of wanted to, you know, back to the the thing about bringing people along cuz part of it is it's all about trust. Yeah. So even when you hire new people, right? The people that are there want to trust that, hey, I have a role in this. And so building that trust and, and bringing folks along is super important. And it all comes from transparency. Um, we're very transparent. It's one of the key pillars of the organization of, of us here at Arvest. It's one of our key pillars. And so when we think about hiring, what we had to do first was we started with, we had a lot of great talent here. We said, what are the main skills we need? If we're moving to Google Cloud, I want my current infrastructure team to understand cloud computing. I want them to know. I want them to come along for the ride. And so what we did was we launched a program, uh, an upskilling and reskilling program. Uh, and we started out with our team that needed to learn cloud, our team that ne needed to learn the data platform, uh, not just G GCP as infrastructure. So we started there. We created role profiles. We created job descriptions from those role profiles. Uh, we created learning journeys. <laughs> so we really started with what do we need first? And then as of, gosh, as of the end of November, my entire organization across the technology team and across bank operations, so my group is both technology and operations, we have um, role profiles and learning journeys for all of them to be able to go through. Now the learning wow. journeys, uh, we're still working through some of them. We at least have base learning journeys that people can start on. Obviously it's hard to go from zero to everything for everybody, 
but we at least have base things that people can do. And over the next couple of months, we should expand it. But everybody has access to these learning platforms that we've made available and a baseline learning journey. And so for us, excuse me, so for us, that was really important to make sure that we had a path for people to grow before we ever started hiring from the outside. Right. Because you don't want to all of a sudden start bringing in new skills and people go, well, what about me? Because we have a lot of great people, a lot of really smart people that know the bank, they know other technologies, they know all the existing infrastructure and technology. I think it's important, right? So we tried to launch this me at Arvest. It's it, we've had it's taken us time to get it right. I'm you know, we're close. We're not, it's not perfect, but we're getting closer. Um in terms of the hiring, we then wanted to say, how do we hire people that one are a culture fit? right? First and foremost, it's about a culture fit in terms of, are they collaborative? Are they mentors? We want them to be mentors to the other people because we're going to bring in somebody that already has some existing skills around these technologies. We want them to be comfortable that part of their role is going to be bringing people along for the ride. So not just coding, but, but educating in parallel and partnering. And so it's really been about that. And so again, we started with Um, We prioritized what things we were going to do. We have a multi-year roadmap. That multi-year roadmap matches to where we want to be in five years. And so the way that we're hiring that skill set is based upon that roadmap, but also based upon what skills we have and how long it's going to take us for some of those for upskilling and reskilling. And so we're finding that right blend. Um, Our estimation is probably we'll end up with maybe a quarter, maybe a little less than a quarter of new skills blended with the existing skills and reskilling. You know, it's it's amazing. You know, it, it's amazing because it does get down to the people. And everything you've described up to this point has really been major transformation of financial institutions that's got a legacy core. And I don't mean legacy cores into the technology side, but really a legacy core in a mental state and a cultural state mm-hmm. and everything else. And to get the flexibility that you've gotten at Arvest to do what you need to do and to do it at scale is it, pretty impressive. And uh, so let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsor of this podcast. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Microsoft. See how Microsoft can help unlock new opportunities at speed and scale through innovative business processes, delivering differentiated customer experiences across channels, innovating new products and services, and redefining new ways of thinking. Find out more at Microsoft.com backslash financial services. Welcome back. I'm joined today by Laura Merlin, Chief Digital Officer at Arvest Bank. Laura and I have been discussing the digital transformation journey at Arvest and how smaller financial institutions can really become future ready at a time of amazing economic uncertainty. So, Laura, during our break, we were talking a little bit about some core elements that all start with S that <laughs> that you've you've focused on and how you've added an S. Can you describe that a little bit? <laughs> sure. Um, we decided we needed some guiding principles for our transformation. So obviously there's the strategy, but you want some guiding principles uh, overall as you're thinking about each piece of it. And so our three guiding principles, right, are um, simplification. So think about simplification for the customer. Uh, standardization, because it's you can't really get to simplification without some level of standardization. Uh, and then the other piece of it is scale. So how do we scale to meet the needs of our customers and the business? And then, you know, we have a lot in motion all at the same time. As you, you know, as we've been discussing, there's many moving pieces to this puzzle. And, you know, sometimes people can get tired and we get so enthralled in what we're doing. And so we just recently added another S. Uh, and I, my team all makes fun of me, but um, we added S, which is sunshine, is the fourth S. And that's really to make sure that we're always thinking positively about what we're doing, where we're going, and we're thanking the people along the way that have helped us. Um, and it's just a nod and acknowledgement to, you know what, we're going to get in the weeds and get in the thick of it, but we got to kind of step back and go, right, let's be thankful for what we have, where we're going, and how we're getting there. So sunshine's our fourth S. Well, it's funny because sunshine's important because I'm going to add an S because the whole process you've been talking about is scary. 
I mean, change is scary. The transformation is scary. New people coming into an organization are scary. You know, you have you have legacy employees that have been there 20, 30 years. And this is an entirely different way of doing business, but toward the same goals. So a lot of organizations right now are really being challenged with how do you manage data and analytics and how do you deploy these towards better experiences, both internally and externally. How are you doing that at Arvest? Ooh, um, I, one of the things that um, we did first, right, was start out by building this data platform on Google Cloud. Um, and the only way, you can't just lift and shift all your data over because you don't want to take data that might be bad or um, it's not aligned. And so what we've been doing is use case by use case, what data do we want to move over? And so we've set those use cases again based on our strategy of what are we trying to achieve in 2022? What are we trying to achieve in 2023? So we have we have themes for each year of our transformation about what we're trying to achieve. And then the data that we move over aligns with that theme. The other piece that we're also doing, and I think this is something that a lot of banks struggle with, which is how do you get a single view of your customer? And that single view, and I think maybe not just banks, but even maybe retailers, but but there's this, how do you get a single view of your customer? If you think about it, I have different product lines, right? We've got right. mortgage, we've got credit card, we've got deposit products, right? You've got lending products. When you think about that across the board, how do you get a single view? Because every one of those legacy systems stores what they view as the single view of the customer, the customer master record in each of their systems. So one of the things that we've been working on is creating, you know, we'll call it master data management, right? So how do we create a single ID that represents the customer across all of those platforms so that we have a single view of a customer, so our customer has a single view of their entity and our folks that are at the, you know, the front line also have a way to have a single view of that customer's profile. Um, and so really that will totally transform and change the customer experience. But we had to start by saying it goes back to, what are the use cases? What data elements are we going to start with? What systems are we going to start with to solve those problems? Because again, doing it all at once is just impossible to do. So as part of this process also, do you, are you exposing more employees to the data and the analytics and the, the actual deployment of ideas from these uh, the implementations? Are you sharing this data and these insights with employees across the organization as opposed to have them simply housed in the data area? Yeah, um, so we've, we, we are, and part of that is, right, we've got to get the data to a place that's usable and then make sure that it's, it's, people get access to it. But first, it's, it's a data, um, data culture mindset shift as well. How do I use data? How do I think about data? So one of the first things that we did was um, we worked with our internal teams to create, um, I'll call it our transformation dashboard. And so just to start to show people what types of data you might, might want to look at. You know, how do you compare uh, digital transactions to non-digital transactions? How do you look at digital interactions versus non-digital interactions? How do you measure those? Where do you measure them? How do you look at them, not globally, but how do you also look at them by a branch location or by a market, um, by customer type? And so what we tried to do was get some of that just to create a dashboard and start demonstrating to people um, what, what the art of the possible was. How might you use this data to then transform your market, your line of business? And it's really been hugely valuable just to get the mindset going while we get the data where it needs to be and in the condition it needs to be in order to make it available to them. So it's, again, it's bringing them along while you're standing up things uh, to make them better. You know, it's interesting. All the things you're talking about, really, there's so many moving parts in the process, which is blowing my mind. I'm just thinking, boy, working for your organization would be both really, really fun and really challenging every day. And I'm sure it is for you as well. You know, one of the things that we sometimes put to the side and we don't think about as much, but we need to, is innovation. How do you support innovation from an internal basis and the importance of speed and scale of creating ideas and actually taking taking action on those ideas? Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's a, innovation is top of mind for us. I think um, so some of it came, comes back to those quick wins. How do you think about how you can solve a problem and what can you solve in 90 days versus overcomplicating it? Sometimes 
we make innovations and they're too big and complicated, they're going to take years to deploy. So, so one of them is that. So it's a mindset shift. The other piece of it is, you know, I've been at enough large companies now and you've, you have successes and failures on innovation. And sometimes the failures, failures usually happen when they're not tied to a business outcome and they don't have a business owner. And so what we've been very thoughtful about doing is in our innovation program, uh, we have we are tying it to what our business goals are. These are the new markets we're trying to go into. These are the new um, customers we're targeting or the, or the, the focus that we want to have on the new product portfolio. And so we're very specific about a handful of key um, innovation areas that we want to use to drive the business forward versus innovation for the sake of innovation. And so it's a combination of thinking through quick wins to improve customer experience or efficiencies or potential revenue combined with some of these other projects. And then those projects, you also have to know when to kill them. So one of the other things that that happens sometimes in large corporations is you're your innovation project never dies. It should die because it's it's not successful and you haven't called it unsuccessful. Um, we actually stopped two pretty significant innovation projects this year um, because they weren't getting the results that we wanted. It goes back to what's the metrics? What are you trying to measure and achieve? If you don't get them, maybe you should shut the project down, right? You might adjust it if you can, which we tried that and we still weren't getting what we want. So, okay, let's cancel it and hit the reset. So, what we do is we're we're putting in place this model that is a I'll go back to it, try to to I hate to say this, but time box it. So 12 weeks, 12 weeks, and 12 weeks. You get through the first 12 weeks. Did you achieve what you wanted? Okay, is it ready to go to production or do you need another 12 weeks for evaluation? Okay, we need another 12 weeks. So you do that, but you do it three times. If you get to the the third 12 weeks and you get to the end of it, and you still don't have an answer, you should probably shut that project down and move on to the next. Again, it's all about framing it because otherwise these things have a life of their own and you end up not achieving what you what you want. So it's having a business owner, it's time boxing it and making sure that it's solving a business outcome. So as we get close to the end of this podcast, my, my big question right now, are, as you look back, what have been your biggest victories over the last little bit more than a year? Oh, lots of, we've had lots of victories. Um, you know, I would say, the exciting part for me has been um, our our move to cloud. Um, the team, initially, as you might suspect, right, if they don't have a cloud computing background, might have been like, "Ah, oh, how do we do this? Are we going to do this?" And you know, we've been able to make leaps and bounds progress on that to the point where we think by mid year next year we're going to be out of our data center, uh, one of our data centers. Wow. And that's pretty fast. That's, that's huge. Like yeah. Lightning fast. Yeah. <laughs> um, now I'm 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 going to say that, and my team's going to be like, I can't believe you said that publicly in case it doesn't happen. But, but, but the excitement around the interest in learning, and because we set up those learning journeys and the training opportunity and the partnership that we had in terms of educating, um, the excitement around it. I mean, our team did some estimate of moving our dev servers over from our current environment to the cloud. They said it. They thought it would take a couple of days. I think they had like three days and they ended up doing it in six hours. And so it's, it's little oh, victories like that, that go yeah. such a long way and bring, bringing the team along for the ride. Um, those are the victories that we look for. I mean, there's, there's lots that we've had along the way. We just celebrated, um, you know, our other piece was how do you narrow the scope of what you're doing? Uh, when, when, uh, when I first started, we had probably, um, 300 projects on our to-do list of, of projects we wanted to do. Remember I said, we're trying to sif- switch from project to product. Right. Um, we had about 300 of them. Uh, it took a lot of um, negotiation, alignment, understanding, and we got it down to about 64. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's a lot of, um, that's a lot of conversations. That's a lot of people being <laughs> and, and you're and you're the new kid in the block making the you know telling people that their number eighty four that they really had their heart set on is not going to happen right now. Yeah, and and we have that again this year. But I think because this past year we were able to not only show um, these are the sixty four we're going to work on, but we're going to show you the progress. So every month we do a readout to the executive committee and to the bank presidents about here we are. 
These are the, you know, we've got 64. These are the 15 we're always tracking. These other ones we're going to read out on once a, once a quarter. But doing that consistently and doing the readout and getting to the end and saying, hey, X percent of these we delivered on time. X percent of these we delivered in year, but not necessarily in the time window we wanted. And by the way, these things, these four projects got moved into next year. And here's the reasons why they're moving into next year. And being transparent and open laid the foundation for us in the next year. So as we look into 2023, we just finished our prioritization um, model approach. What are we doing? Where are we going? Where are our investments going to be? And by doing that, it gave us kind of, it almost set the foundation that people were like, they trusted us when we said, look, this is what we're going to do. This is what we can do. And you know, we're going to deliver it. And that's really important. You know, that, that goes back to some of the first things we talked about, which that by itself builds trust within the organization. If things get measured, you you step up to the plate on things you've done, but you also step up to the place things you did not do. That builds trust in the in the process, which is so important. Okay, so as we look to 2023, what are the key things that you really have that you really want to accomplish in next year? Oof. Um, <laughs> We do need to accomplish this single view of the customer. To me, that is foundationally one of the main things that we need to do. And so getting that done. Um, I think one of the other things that we're work, working on is, I'm going to call it back office optimization. And, and to your point, it's more about efficiency and process. A lot of back office and banks is still manual. It's a lot of paper. Um, how do we think about automation when and where and how we can but it's not about removing headcount. It's about letting people focus on people and letting people focus on relationships and servicing the customer versus I got to go move a bunch of pieces of paper around and, right. and implement them. So it's really that kind of look. Um, I'd say one of the other things is growth. Um, we know growth when you when you launch new products, new offers, um, and you want to grow the business. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't turn a switch and you have growth. And so we have a couple of things we're doing this year around um, some platforms around uh, commercial lending. Um, and that is some of the foundation that we've built for our new banking core. And so making sure that we get that out and focus on that and work on that successfully, because that's part of the future growth of the bank. Um, that's another key pillar for us. And then I'd say probably the last key pillar you know, is is really about, there's, well, there's probably two more. One is really about protecting our customers um, and because yeah. and, that's an ever-changing thing, right? Boy, How yeah. do you protect them? What's happening in the market and in the yep. industry? And then the last one is our people. Um, this reskilling program that we've launched, um, we've started in in the technology organization. We, we went to my operations team and now we're going on to the rest of the bank. It's bringing everybody along. How do you use these new tools that are, you know, data tools and, and you know, what does AI mean for my piece of the industry? Or if we're looking at uh, virtual reality or augmented reality, how do those things impact it? So it's all about, there's a couple of key pieces. They're, they're yeah. all in parallel, but if they aren't done together, you won't get there. I, I'm going to tell you, Laurie, you, you're going to be revisiting us because um, I'm, I'm going to check up a year from now and see how well you've done. But I have no doubt it is so exciting where I have the opportunity to interview somebody that really blows my mind with what they can accomplish when most people say, oh, we can't. Um, you obviously went in with the support of your senior management because you wouldn't have been hired unless you had it and right. saying, we will do this. And there's a lot of risk in this. There's a lot of unknowns, especially as, you know, almost on the day you were hired, the economy started taking some south routes. It was not that you said, geez, you know, what could be worse than the COVID crisis? Well, I'll tell you what, an economic crisis can really change banking. But what's interesting is you're proving that at a $25 billion organization, you can punch way above your weight and make things happen. And I think one of the advantages is because you have the agility built into the size component that makes it so things are possible. You also have partnered with amazing companies to, to move towards a process of speed, scale, and efficiency that makes it so you can make change happen without having to do it all yourself. There's, we've mentioned it multiple times, trust. 
Your trust in not only your employees and your employees trust in you and the senior management, but your trust in your partners to say, guys, and I, I use this analogy often, I'm going to hand you the ball, but I'm not going to block for you. You got to go down the field on your own and do it the way I want it. And you measure everything. You make it very clear. You Obviously, in some other interviews I, I read, I, I it's very clear that you you guide with questions as opposed to answers which makes the new kid on the block not, not quite as new as you were a year ago, but the new kid on the block build credibility because you're not coming in and saying, I have all the answers, but I do have all the questions. And at the in the digital transformation process, questions guide where you prioritize, where you apply resources, and it allows you to find the problems in the process that are unexpected. You said you had surprises in some of the things you work with. To bring together the old, the new. I mean, I'm 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 bragging on you, but I'm bragging on Arvis as well because this is this could be highlighted quite a bit in our platform because there are so many organizations that say, "Geez, I don't think I can do it." Well, they can, and and the reality is, it takes certain components of the foundation, but it also takes a lot of guidance from your standpoint. So. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm glad we were able to have you on. As I said, we will be revisiting you to see how you've done, because I think this is a great story for the banking industry to understand that digital transformation is not something that's based on the size of the organization. It's really based on the passion. Let me use your word, the sunshine. You know, if you can make it fun and you can make it exciting, you things will move forward. So thank you again. Thank you. I enjoyed it. I look forward to returning. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. If you enjoyed today's interview, please give our show a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. Also, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and the research we're doing for the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Haslidge, audio engineer, Sean Roll Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, remember, size does not limit the potential for digital banking transformation. The key is to prioritize investments and focus on the entire organization becoming future ready. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.